Hello, and welcome to another episode of Subject Matter Pros. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Branding and Promo. Uh, they're an amazing marketing company. Check them out, www.brandingandpromo.com for all your digital marketing and IT needs. So with the fantasy football season just finishing last couple of days ago um, with week 17, it's something that I've been playing for the last few years and I quite enjoy. And I've really wanted to do a podcast on some of the challenges of running a fantasy league. As somebody who partakes in it, it's joyful, there's stresses, there's a little bit of bickering and shit talking that goes on amongst teams. But really, nobody understands just how challenging it is for a fantasy manager to actually babysit a bunch of grown adults who are so vested in a team like this. Um, our guest today is Jory Goldstein, who is uh, the manager of our fantasy league. I've been playing in Jory's league for the last three years. Uh, we started a new league this year. And Jory's been a fantasy manager since 2013. So, you know, he's had a very robust experience of about eight, nine years now managing leagues. So please, with further ado, we'd like to welcome Jory to the podcast. Thank you, Jory, for coming on Subject Matter Pros. We appreciate you committing your time over here today. Thanks for having me, Kuno. So, you know, I'm going to start off with, uh, I've been very lucky in your leagues. The first year you invited me to your <laughs> league, I won the league. Uh, the second year, I finished second. And then mm -hmm. this year, again, I finished second. So I've been very blessed where I've been able to cash out all three times. And then yep, yep. where, you know, I've been, uh, I've also had uh, been, you know, for better or for worse, my opponents in the finals have generally made true style offers with me where I never pitched any of those deals. We'll get to that later. Yeah, uh, we will. <laughs> so, you know what? Thank you very much for being on the show. So, Jory, why don't we jump right into it? Um, mm. Give us your rundown on, you know, just how you've seen fantasy football evolve over the last few years, especially because there's been a lot of rule changes. The style of the game has evolved where it went from being a very run-dominant football league to now a pass-heavy league. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have COVID and these other wrinkles that create a lot of other challenges as far as the season goes and how players are. So why don't you share some of your experiences, sir, over your period of managing these leagues? And then, you know, if you want to throw in, if I missed anything in my introduction of you, please feel free to uh, add to that. Sure. No, the intro was great. I mean, that's, uh, I've been doing it for almost, I guess, nine years now. So, and I'm sure there's people who've done it longer, but definitely I think the last, there's been a change over that time from my first year to now in both rule sets, the way the game is played, the way the actual game on the field, like players are utilized has changed. And that's, that changes, you need to change with it. So, you know, uh, when I started, uh, the league was very run heavy. Teams used one running back the whole year. I think the, things were a bit more predictable uh, back when I started it. You could, people that are familiar, I'm assuming people who are listening are familiar, you could draft one running back. And as long as they stayed injured, they would get the bulk of the usage. You know, the thing with fantasy is usage is the only thing you can predict. You can't predict touchdowns, but you can predict usage. Um, and, and that's changed over the years. Since, uh, the NFL has gone to a more pass-happy league. It's focused on, they've changed the rules to make it more pass-happy, and fantasy has to evolve to uh, accommodate that. And, and fantasy has, but sometimes leagues or owners are a little uh, hesitant to embrace some of those changes. I personally have 
why one of the reasons why we started a new league this year was because the previous group of the league we had running for the last five, six years, there were some uh, people that weren't willing to embrace change. You can only cater to those people so long before you say, okay, enough's enough. Either you can be one of these people that runs multiple leagues or is in multiple leagues. Um, but, you know, you, you got to change with the time. So one of the biggest things I've changed, uh, daily fantasy aside, which is a whole other ball of wax, I think it's exploded in popularity over the last six, seven years. You see it. They talk about it. Players talk about it. Um, and the game's changed. So the league's have had, you know, a good fantasy man owner or uh, commissioner of a league will make changes to accommodate that. And also the way you even implement changes is challenging because some people say, well, everyone should have a voice. Everyone should have a say. My personal opinion is I'm going to set the league up. And if you don't like it, you don't have to join. And you can, something should be up for debate, but something shouldn't. I mean, it's, it's sometimes you have to draw a line. Um, so one of the, one of the probably the biggest changes I've seen since when I started to now is the change in scoring from what would have been a traditional touchdowns rule the roost. You get X amount of points for a touchdown and X amount of points for a yard. It's very simple to calculate, very easy. Your lineups may vary, but and that's that's the basic uh, the basic layout of it. Um, since the league has gone to a more pass happy league, with the rule changes in the NFL have allowed for more pass. You know, they protect the 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 the, the wide receivers. Uh, the quarterbacks have gotten better. Um, and the way that running backs are utilized has changed where running backs catch a lot more passes. You know, there was a move a number of years ago to something called PPR, which is a point per reception. And, you know, I always looked at it in the way of you have a player in the NFL who catches five passes for 80 yards in a football game on the field. That player made a major contribution to that team, whether they, if they won, they didn't score a touchdown, but 80 yards, a team throws for, let's say 320 yards in the game. One player is responsible for 80 of those 320 yards. That matters on the field. And while fantasy is a game, it's called fantasy. You want to try to reflect production in the real world with production on your fantasy team. And so the way to kind of offset a guy who catches five catches for 80 yards, and no touchdowns in a traditional non PPR league that would give you eight points. And that's good, but not great. Meanwhile, a guy who catches 40 yards in the touchdown gives you 12 points in a non PPR league. And you could argue the touchdown is more valuable, but the guy caught 40 yards. So and it, could be, it could be a luck play. It could be a blown coverage. It could be. Exactly. could the, be a 40 yard play. It could be the one catch he makes, right? The guy. So the way to counterbalance that was they brought in PPR became more popular. It was around for a while and, and more, the most popular being half point PPR, which gives you a half point for every reception so that you have your, your superstars. They're still driving your team. They're still the core of your team. Your Tyree kills are still catching 10, 12 packs of the game for 150 yards and two touchdowns, but they get a little bit of juice on the catches because each catch now is worth half a point, but it makes those guys that catch 80, you know, five catches for 80 yards, much more valuable from a fantasy perspective. And I'm a perfect example. So this year on my team, I had Hunter Renfro and Jalen Waddle and both those guys, they didn't put up stellar numbers or touchdowns, but they were the safety blankets for their quarterback. So both yep. of them would get eight to 10 catches every game. They'd only put up 70, 80 yards, but they're catching eight, 10 passes, getting critical third down conversions and things like that. And, you know, you mentioned about fantasy. So I get it that it is a fantasy concept, but to me, the reason I like fantasy football is not so much the fantasy nature of it, but the fact that, you know, the fantasy part of it is to me is we can get to pick and choose the players that we like to make a team from the players that we like, but that doesn't, deviate or detract from the fact that it still is tied to the real production and how that individual player impacts the game versus just sheer luck where 
you can have some guy catch two massive bombs of 80 yard touchdown passes. And now this guy is the highest scoring player that week for fantasy. And that team may not even have one. He just had, or like garbage time. Exactly. Like that, right? well, and, my, and my take has always been on reducing luck in fantasy. Because like I said, it's their statistics. There are trends. There's analytics involved. And that's an area that's exploded. And like I said, you can track usage. You can track who gets air yards. All these, all these metrics that are predictable based on how a team uses their, their quarterback uses a superstar player. So that it, it isolates those guys that pop off for two catches for two 80-yard catches and touchdowns, they're not going to be in anyone's fantasy lineup, ideally. But the, the uh, reducing the luck, touchdowns are luck, I would argue. Usage shouldn't mean the touchdowns, but you could have a running back like Derrick Henry, who's, you know, number one running back, or Jonathan Taylor, who drive the field and get 80 yards on a drive, and then they bring in the backup to spell him, and he gets touchdown. So you don't get those six points in the touchdown. I've always been a big fan of reducing luck. And that goes from literally before from the draft all the way through to the season. And that's a challenge with other owners who, you know, you know, we started a new league, for example. How did we start the league? We started with pulling names out of a hat to determine draft order. I'm not a fan of that. I would have done an auction draft, which allows you every – so you say you got the number one pick. You got the first choice. I had no shot at that player. It's completely that's random. pure luck. It's, it, that is completely random. And, and to me, I'm a big fan of reducing as much luck as possible in this game. And, you know, it is a game, but it, there's a lot of analysis that goes into it. You put in more work, you should be rewarded better. Not always play out because, again, you have no control of what happens on the field. Injuries and stuff for obviously, those are outliers. That's where the element of luck comes in. But other than that, I completely agree with you because when you have players that you're picking, and if you look at it, like the NFL has very deep rosters. So typically, like most... NFL teams will have a good 25, 30 players on each offensive roster. So if you're looking at 30 teams times 30 offensive players, let's take away the linemen. So let's say 10 offensive players on each team are valuable as far as scoring goes, right? Between wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, and quarterbacks. So if you have 10 players available for each team that would that have the potential to score points for your team, and you have 32 teams in the league, that gives you about 300 to 320 playmakers that you could potentially draft from. Now, when you have a 10 or 12 person league and your roster is 15 deep with bench spaces and stuff, you're looking at about 150 to 180 player selection process from that 300, 320 odd personnel that's available to people. So I truly agree with you where it's on the incumbent fantasy manager to do his diligence to understand how the individual players fit into the schemes of their individual teams, how they contribute, what they do, because that's really what allows you to predict usage. Because I agree with you. What you said is fantasy is very usage driven because touchdowns, it's it's pure luck. You know what I mean? Like, and I made a trade for one of the guys earlier this year where I traded Devonta for Cooper Cup, just because I knew that Cooper's not a touchdown guarantee machine, but I know, I mean, he scores touchdowns, but I know he's going to get his 10 catches and 100 mm-hmm. yards every game, just because that's their game plan. They throw yep. the ball 30% of the time in I mean, Cooper Cup's way, and he's going to get those yards just because he's a good route runner. He's a sound playmaker. But, like, you get to the goal line, now you have Sony Michelle, you got Handy, you got OBJ. A tight end, quarterback uh, and running in. Right, so, like, th- there's all those random elements that we cannot control, and you see that even with teams like Green Bay. Like, it's, you get Devonta Adams as a star, a super stud, and then you get to the goal line, 
you don't know if it's going to go to Aaron Jones or if it's going to go to Lazard or if it's going to go to Tonyan or who it's going to go to. You know, it's or some random guy off. Yeah, it's true. And, 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 and double team, triple teamed very heavily when you start getting into red zone formations in place, right? Because they understand yeah. that, hey, this guy, so short of like a rookie D-back following a receiver or something like that, where they completely just drop, botch the play where, you know, they don't do their assignment. It's very hard for bonafide number one stars to have completely open looks for touchdowns. You're going to get oh, a yeah. lot of open looks for game relevancy because that's just mm-hmm. what they do. That's why they're number one in all-stars. But mm-hmm. you know that when you're going in, when you don't have that much of the field to utilize for being productive, it's much easier for the defense to scheme and restrict how much or how many touchdowns that player is able to get. Like I said, sure. it's a running back. So you come to the one yard line and you got, if Derrick Henry is healthy, you know he's rushing that ball the first two or three times. You know what I mean? Exactly. So you can expect to have a touchdown for him or Jonathan Taylor. Right. So you can expect that some of these guys are going to be predictable in how the teams use them because of how dominant they are and their teams that are driven around offensive lines and things. So those are some very good points. Now, you know, when you're dealing with a manager, like you've had, you always have a transition of players where you have, I've been, I remember the first time I played fantasy and you're going to laugh at this. You're going to probably, you probably had other players like me was in 2003, I was an undergraduate in my second year. I had no idea about football, okay? no yeah. idea. And I had the second pick in the draft. That was the year Peyton Manning went, was the number one selection because he was just killing it with, like nobody else was that good. Mm-hmm. Number two, I, was, uh, I worked at a convenience store and I read the stupid NFL magazine and Michael Vick was the shit back. Like, you know, like, not the shit, but he was the first mm-hmm. mobile quarterback, heavily touted. Yep like that and with the number two pick in place of picking Ladanian Tomlinson I picked Michael Vick and everyone in my league was just like what the fuck is this guy doing he's an idiot you know what I mean like yeah. who fucking pick Mike Peyton Manning was the consensus number one pick on every draft board and every analyst prediction just because he was one of those guys who'd give you your 40 touchdowns yeah but back then quarterbacks went high right exactly and when I picked Michael Vick I fucked up the league and then Eventually, I realized how bad I was. I actually won a couple of weeks just because I remember a couple of times where I won. I won out of dumb luck when Santana Moss caught some Hail Mary plays when he was with the Washington Redskins. And literally, I remember my opponent being like, fuck Santana Moss, because yeah, you're, you're playing a tool like me, a complete new, who has no concept of fantasy, none whatsoever. And I'm being rewarded with sheer dumb luck of a stupid Hail Mary play. You know what I mean? Where it's like... Nobody can control the outcome of, that's the beautiful thing about football is that every play yep. can be game changer, right? So you can't control things like that. So how do you deal with, you know, when you have fantasy players that come in like that, where you're going to have a well-rounded group overall who understands, it's like, because to me, the analogy is very similar to sitting at a blackjack table where mm-hmm. it's an idiot who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, when to hit, when to stand. And it literally gives up the flow of all the players because now the cards yep. are being pulled Everyone is looking at you going, why would you hit on 17 or 18? Or why would you stay on 11 or 10? You know what I mean? Like you don't, that that, that randomness of that is very frustrating when you have everyone in a skilled position and you get one person who has no clue of what's going on in the world. So how have you dealt with some of those challenges across all those years? What kind of trends are you seeing as new people come on and join the league and their dedication and their understanding? And how do you qualify to see if they even understand what fantasy football is 
where they don't just ruin I, the league? I mean, it's, 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 it's a good question. Everyone's going to start somewhere. Like you, my first year, I knew nothing about fantasy. I followed one team. I picked Peyton Manning in the first round when the quarterback did not go in the first round. I ended up winning my first year. Everyone in that league hated me because I made a trade. They all, a drastic trade. But I mean, everyone has to start somewhere. And I think in my experience, some of the challenges have been like, you know, you're going to have an owner, you're going to have turnover. Um, it's having active owners. If they watch the NFL, that helps. And I would say starting out today versus when I started out in 2013, when you started out in 2003, there's a shit ton more resources out there in the world. There's way more websites that will do the analysis for you. There's so many breakdowns, so many Twitter accounts, so many podcasts listen to that there's no excuse. If you're going to put money at stake for you to not get good at it, whether you are a seasoned veteran or not. So, I mean, a great example this year was we started a new league um, with some owners I'd played with before and a couple of new guys. Funnily enough, the guy who beat you in the finals, this was his first year doing fantasy. And, you know, we were at kind of pressed for fine owners because nowadays everyone plays fantasy that watches football. Anyone who wants to play fantasy is chances are in a fantasy league or in multiple. So to get someone who's brand new, who's going to be that you may not know is reliable. What I look, okay, you're an NFL fan. You already keep up with the sport. That's one thing. And then it's making sure you let them get, Hey, you're putting money at stake. Sometimes it's a smaller buy and sometimes it's large, but let's say an average of a hundred dollars. I don't know about you, but I don't like to piss away a hundred dollars for no reason at all. I really played to win. So, you know, it's funny, sure. like, so I played fantasy the first time in 2003 and the second time I played fantasy was when I joined your season in 2000 and long break. Yeah. You know what I mean, so I took a 15 year hiatus because the first year I had no clue what I was, what I was doing. I yeah. didn't understand the game. And then over time, as I, started watching it, understanding what football is, started liking it. And then I got lucky because there was a void where you needed a player. I got invited yep. by one of the members of the league who was like, hey, you know what? And we didn't and we didn't know who you were. No. And that was the other thing. And and there's a risk reward because in our league we brought in someone. So we're starting a league. We had someone drop out at the last minute. So we had to fill in a spot. We we decided to go with 10 teams because finding 12, there's always a chance the 11th or 12th owner is going to be what I like to call an idiot. That's just my General reference, there's always one idiot in the league who either stops setting his lineup uh, halfway through the season, which creates an imbalance in the later half, makes dumb moves. And look, you want to make dumb moves, you can make dumb moves. That's all subjective. But you want someone who's competent. So we brought in someone at the last minute who I actually played in the league with um, a couple of years ago. And uh, he was good. He was, wasn't the most active owner, but was reliable. And, uh, you know, I was just telling you before we got in this call, he, he actually bailed on his team six weeks into the season. What I did from my perspective, from my experience, and some people disagree with this, was that I said at the outset of the season that one of the rules was that you had to field a legal lineup every week. Meaning, legal meaning you had to have players that were active that weren't on a bye week or hadn't been ruled out with injury at least the day before a game in your lineup. Because to me, that throws up. So someone who paid 100 bucks by week six, they got busy, whatever the reason is, they got busy in life. They stopped setting their lineup and they become an easy win for everyone else after that point, but not an easy win prior. I, I created a rule in our league that everyone agreed to, which was you get one gimme in this league, which is you get one gimme week to start someone by accident, for whatever reason, shit happens in your life, you start a guy in a buy. But after that, if I notice it and I did check everyone's lineups, which is that's between being just an owner and being the commissioners, I have to pay attention to what everyone's doing is that if you, after that one gimme, if I notice someone's bailed on their team, I'm setting your lineup only from the guys in your bench. I'm not making ad drops for you. I'm not making actual waiver moves, 
but you have a bench of six players in our league. And I'm taking guys that are active that are the highest ranked guys by consensus, by ECR expert consensus ranking and putting them in your lineup. That way it, it, it would starting a new league counterbalance. We don't know all the owners. We don't know how good they are. We don't know if one guy's going to bail on the league, which is what happened. And that rule was put in place to counterbalance that. Some leagues may say, no, you someone pays their hundred bucks. They don't set their lineup. That's what they do. I have a different, it, to me, it makes it less fun. I don't want a league where nine out of 10 owners are trying and one guy is, is basically a bye week. And so that's part of the challenge is, is you have to get, you know, what we do is we ask friends, we ask friends of friends, we run into someone who talks sports. Like everyone's heard about fantasy now. And like I said, the guy who won our league, who beat you in the finals was a guy who was an NFL fan who had just never done fantasy. And he ends up winning our league. I mean, and he did a good job. He had some, he made it very active, made trades. So, but, you know, it's always a challenge and, and you can find randoms off the internet. Um, you can join a daily fantasy league if you want. You can go on DraftKings and do daily fantasy, or you can go on a message board and join some ra- some random person's league. Yeah, who offers you know, fantasy too? So yes, you definitely have a right? lot. Of but, options, but, but I but like for me, it's personally I want to play with friends. I, I like the shit talk, the banner. I like the competitiveness. And so for me, if I'm putting together a league of ten people, you got to find ten people that are into NFL that are competitive and that you hope will be uh, interested to maintain interest. And, and usually, you know, I, I'd say. 11 out of 12 owners, you're usually lucky. 9 out of 10, then you got to find someone else next year. And then ideally you find a good group and you roll that group over. And that's, that's really what you do because then you get year-over-year year improvement. You get vendettas. People like Kunama have a bad reputation of offering garbage trades. And that's just the fun stuff. <laughs> well, you know, you got to try to be opportunistic. I learned from some hey. of the finest in our league. You know, they, they teach you how to set the bar. You, really you start low and then and, and you go from there. And everyone's got their opinion. And in the end... I don't try to police the actual moves, like unless it's collusion. So the other leagues would have league veto on trade, which to me is a no-no because look, you know, you made a bunch of trades this week. I, this year. And so other people did, I may not have agreed with the trades and why these teams did it. But when you have a league veto on trades, owners that are other owners that are pissed off that you traded for Travis Kels would vote the trade down just on that basis. Where my perspective is I'm the commissioner. I have the only, I'm the only person that approves trades or disprove them. And the only reason why I'm going to disprove a trade is if it's proven collusion. Other than that, you make a bad trade and you get fleeced by another owner. That's your fault. You manage your team, how you want, you make ad drops, how you want, but I don't want, I don't like the league being sore sports because someone got one over on someone else. That's part of the game. Last part year, of the fun. Was that issue. If you remember last season where I was offered a trade where I didn't fully see what players were, I was giving up and yeah. I ended up, we ended up reversing the trade and that created yep. a lot of dissonance in with the other guy, because he's like, Kunal is an adult. He should have seen the full trade. And yep. I just didn't scroll fully to understand that I was just getting X players. I was, he was taking more off my team and I got yep. saved there where, you know, you stepped in and you're like, listen, this is not a trade that anyone in their sane mind would go mm-hmm. ahead and approve where you're giving bonafide, RB ones or WR ones or TE ones in exchange for like a WR three or TE three or somebody where you're like, Hey, and like, you know what? Like it it created some challenges. So like, how do you deal with situations like that? Where like, you know, where you, you're sort of in your role as a commissioner, if you wanted to be the judge, the jury and the executioner, because you have the ability and a lot of power, notwithstanding what other fantasy managers think you made, how they feel about Mm -hmm. it. But as a commissioner, you do have, a lot of, you know, and like one of the biggest challenges of yours, as you said, is, is to maintain the integrity of the league, to make sure that 
for the duration of the season, all the players are truly at least acting in the best interest of their team. Mm-hmm. Not so much about their matchup, but you got to make sure that your team is best represented throughout the season, that trades are done. So I agree with not having vetoes because there could be just pure animosity that could have that could yep. force people to vote against the trade. But if the trades are balanced and the people understand, then it should go ahead. And especially in like a league that we have, like a keeper league, right? Where we're playing mm-hmm. a league where managers have the opportunity to roll on two players. So part of the reason why I traded the way I traded was I picked Devonta in the first round and mm-hmm. Mahomes was not doing that hot. I needed, the reason I picked Cooper was. You went too high on Mahomes, but anyway. I did, I did. <laughs> it, was, it was a huge mistake. You know what? I, I, I botched that draft. I had JT that I passed up on. I mean, Champions JT, when I, when not I, one of the draft time. Exposed, you know, it's hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? So mm-hmm. it's easy to see what mistakes I made. I didn't understand the full nature of a keeper because it's the first time I'm playing in a keeper league. So there's a lot of mine learning. Mine too, mine too. Yeah. And that's and why our I, keeper's not crazy. Our, I try to keep our keeper settings to a minimum of you're only carrying over two players versus five because then that's not fun based on the luck of starting the draft, names out of a hat, which we didn't do. There are other ways to do it. So it's not names out of a hat. But, you know, you, you, there's leagues out there where you're keeping five players. That means, you know, you end up getting the short and the stick on a season, all your players go down, you're kind of fucked for the next year. So keeping it to two players, it's mainly a redraft next year with some choices and you're va- you got to balance value for return. But then that's, for us, you know, like another thing was like another reason why we did the trade was my opponent. And it's funny because like I played the guy in the finals and I lost him because both the players that traded him actually outperformed the players that he gave me. Yep. It's very <laughs> but the reason why we did that trade and he didn't want to give up Cooper cup or Travis. No, Kelsey. it's the number one, number one wide receiver at the time. Right? And I'm going to be in the W. He's such a big Josh Allen fan. He really likes bills. So he's like, listen, man, I really like the Buffalo bills. So oftentimes, if you have a stud player and you like watching that team play, it's the you're winning on both ends because now you get yep. to watch your player dominate on the field for the team that you like to actually watch. Whereas, like, I had few guys on teams that I would never watch. I don't like yep. the Browns. I don't like the Raiders. But you know what? Guess yep. what? Like, some of their players do put up points, and hence, based on whatever options I have, like Waddle for Miami. I don't want to watch no Miami Dolphins game. You know, it's just like, come on, who wants to watch? Them? I mean, it's, and it's funny because, like, everyone has their own mentality me personally i'm a colts fan but i could give two shits about owning any colts for me it's about i don't want any emotion in my trades i want the best chance to win whereas the guy who won our league i tried to make when i noticed he was building basically the entire bills roster yeah i had stefan diggs and i'm like hey i'll give you stefan diggs for your back for jonathan taylor you know how many times i tried to get him off because i i saw this guy traded you for cole beasley he had some point he had the bills defense the bills kicker Josh Allen, Cole Beasley, Singletary, and Zach Ma- and the other running back. And I'm like, okay, I own the best player that's not the quarterback on that team. And clearly, this, I did, again, this is a guy that we didn't really know that well. He was a friend of a friend. Yes. Um, and I'm just like, okay, this guy's a rookie. He clearly is just, it's not a good strategy to have a ton of players from one team generally. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get Jonathan Taylor. I wasn't successful, but like, you know, every, everyone has their own personal way they play. I think you, you're going back to your question about how many people engaged and, and deal with disputes. I mean, keeping people engaged is a matter of rule set. Um, laying, I tried to, we had the advantage. I, for many years in, my, in our old league, there was many rules I wanted to implement. Changing from non-PPR to PPR was the biggest one because that just makes the expanded pool of players you can draft. More scoring is more fun. But we had a couple of people in that league that even though there were only one vote, their one vote outweighed five other people's vote. They threatened to lead the league every year 
and everyone wanted to play with the guy and he would take his brother out. So we never changed. And, and I would put things out to a league vote in that league in terms of, Hey guys, the season's going to start. Let's go to a simple majority on whether we want to have PPR or not. We had 12 owners in that league, seven owners, and it got shot down. So, you know, when it came to this year, it's like, okay, I'm done with that league. I'm sick of playing non PPR league and having a bunch of people that are, that want to play a very old school way of. And even the fab one, because you know what, like that's something where I got yeah. impacted last year because I could have won that year. I mean, in the final, do you remember where like I started Baker Mayfield, which is the most bonehead move I could do that year because everyone on Cleveland roster was injured. And my opponent in the finals goes on at four in the morning and shuffles the entire lineup of the available waiver wire. So now yep. I don't have the luxury of picking any player because they, I got to wait until so many hours mm-hmm. pass before they become, you know, add and drop players. So I agree that, you know, what when you look at strategies like Fab and PPR, they it's, enhance it's about the, balancing. the game. And they, it's they, balancing and balancing the fairness because, you know, Fab was, those are the two biggest changes. And I think the two biggest changes overall in fantasy over the years have been the instruction of PPR and Fab. Fab being free agent acquisition budget, whereas traditionally you just have a rolling list of priority and you put a claim in. And if you happen to be lucky and wait weeks to have the number one claim and uh, Jonathan Taylor gets injured, Naeem Hines is on the wire, bingo, you've won the lottery. But if I'm a Jonathan Taylor owner, unless I'm rostering Naeem Hines all season long, which my number one pick, I did handcuff with Alexander Madison. I had Dalvin Cook. I drafted Madison. That paid off because I had that locked up but it meant I burned the bench spot on a guy who wasn't playing all season except in case of emergency. But the change to fab to the budget meant that, okay, well now if you are the owner of Jonathan Taylor and he goes out and gets injured and say you're sitting uh, six out of 12th on the wire, you have no shot at getting him back up. But within a free agent acquisition budget, okay, everyone's got a budget. There's still a priority. It's a blind bidding process. And if you want as a Jonathan Taylor owner to get nine Hines, you can spend all your remaining budget on there. It fucks you later on down the road in making plays, but now you at least have a shot at your backup. Whereas in the w- traditional waiver wire, you have no shot unless you're sitting at the top of the wire. And to me, that's luck. Whereas, you know what? We had a couple of guys in our league we were talking about it who didn't use any of their budget. That's up to them. One guy won the league without it. But I know for me, I blew big budget early on Elijah Mitchell in week one after week one. He paid dividends. He paid, dividend. He's the one he paid off when he played. He was a great guy. He's my keeper for next year. But um, so, I mean, there's when you talk about, OK, lessons learned from doing many years of fantasy is like I knew I wanted a league that reduced that made it more fair, that gave people shots, everyone a fair shot at a player. And again, there's more. You actually are adding strategy when you add in fab versus the waiver wire. You have no strategy. It's, the only strategy is do I make this claim or not? And otherwise, people are up at 3 a.m. trying to get moves done that don't count as a waiver move, whereas in our fab league. And this is that gets rid of there's no 3 a.m. Hawks because you can put a zero dollar bid in, you can put a one dollar bid in, and you can ensure yourself you got that without having to wait to 3 a.m. Most people are not at 3 a.m. to make fantasy moves. Some people like me are because I, I, I like to win. But so, but it also adds an element of strategy of how much am I going to bid on this guy? Last, so I made I kind of set the bar this season of Elijah Mitchell. I think I bid 16 fab, let's say 16 fab dollars out of 100 on week one. And then that kind of set the bar if you notice. It wasn't until the weeks or six or seven, some players started going for 30 fab and 25 fab. And so there's a whole other strategy to managing your fab budget that isn't in there with waivers. And that adds a level of complexity to it. And, the, and it's okay. I can go a big after this player now, but it's going to, you know, we're in week five and it's a 17 week season. I'll probably be out of fab by the end of the season. Can I last that long? 
And so it's about adding more levels of strategy, reducing luck. And then when we started our league, I made sure, and I didn't close them all. I made sure to think of every rule that I could think of, anything that had bothered me in the past that was never taken into account, because I don't believe in changing rules mid-season. You lay them out in a, in a charter, whatever you want to do, preseason, you get everyone together, and you, you know, in my case, I threw out the rules. I said, hey, guys, here's the rules. We're, we had the advantage of starting a new league, so it's like it's take it or leave it, but I discussed the rules with a couple people outside, and the rules were there, and so we had it, and then I still didn't factor in a rule that we had come up towards the end of the regular season, which was, do we lock teams from making moves in the playoffs that have been eliminated? And I was like, well, I didn't count it. And I put it to league vote. Our league just didn't bother to vote. So I said, hey, it's open. In the end, the logic was right to leave it open, but I didn't make a rule for that. So there's always going to be stuff in the middle of the season, ideally, that you pop up that you didn't cover off, but that's a learning lesson for next year. And then we're at a point now where, okay, season's done. And now I didn't, now we'll have a whole off season in this league now, which, you know, has nine strong owners and we'll replace another one to propose changes. And thankfully, this is a progressive group that are open to changes. And we'll put those out to a vote at this point versus me saying, here, guys, here's the changes I'm making and take it or leave it. That was the opening salvo. Going forward, it's going to be, okay, do we want to expand to 12 teams? How are we going to do that? And do we have a majority of people agreeing to do that? Do we want to make it so that the sixth playoff spot is not determined on record, but determined on total points to keep everyone active throughout the season? Because you you know, the other thing is, how do you keep everyone active that's been eliminated earlier on? Keeper is one of them doing things like a high weekly high score payout that's small, keeps people active to the end of the season. Because you do get people, they get pissed off, their teams all lose, and they stop bothering. And that throws off a competitive balance once again. And, and I'm all about maintaining competitive balance and keeping interest. I like them for competition. I don't want an easy path to the championship. And I don't want any of my opponents to have an easy path to no, and, but then how do you deal with, like, you know, so I, I can appreciate how you put things out to a vote, but the nature of most fantasy leagues is you're going to have maybe one or two new incumbents. Those new incumbents, those new managers are going to be invited generally through a social circle of people who are already mm-hmm. existingly playing. You have a lot of brothers and families playing in the same league together, you know, especially when they play in multiple leagues. So how do you overcome the collusion of voting? Because now, you know, it's so easy, like, because you know that if there's this, there's a policy that the commissioner wants to implement and you know that one of the players is vehemently against it. And if they have, if they have a couple of brothers or family members or very close friends on there where they just sit there, you know, and they're off time be like, hey, we should all not vote against the strategy. It effectively I mean, overrules a very sound strategy. Because for me, fantasy football, like what I liked about Fab was, it's more representative of how the game is played because let's say if, like, you know, I had uh, not in this league, but in the other league, because I'm lucky I played in two leagues as well. Yep. And, uh, in my and league, the other I, league you played in was a traditional league. This is the one we left. And you know what? It was, was a non PPR, non fab. That, that league has zero trades in it. And it, it was, it's a boring up. league. CEH went down early on in the season. And guess what? You know what? If I had fab dollars, I would have picked up Darrell Williams. I would have had other people. And I was able to do that on our team because there's a couple of times mm-hmm. where. All my running backs got decimated because Carson went down, Hunt went down. Right, welcome but, to fantasy where no running backs survive unless it's John. But thanks to Fab, you know, yep. I was able to pick up some valuable pieces that allowed me to shuffle in guys. Like, you know, when I picked up Justin Jackson for the San Diego Chargers mm-hmm. the week that Eckler was out, I won that week because he put up 30 points for me. You know what I mean? Or yep. I picked up uh, Elijah Mitchell's backup. And that's all yep. Fab dollars. If it wasn't for, for Fab, sure. it would have definitely been something. It would have been pure luck of the waiver wire. And that is... Mm-hmm 
how active you are. Because if you're not like, active, then eventually you're going to climb to the top of the waiver list. And like you said, if you happen to be number one in the week where the number one guy gets shut down, and then the backup is not owned, then the and, and in some lottery. Case, in a lot of teams, yep. the number two guy can put up points like Madison puts yep. up Dalvin Cook numbers when Cook is not playing just because exactly utilize him in and the and same it, way. And the, and the thing is, is that the idea of sitting on your waiver claims, people can still sit on their fat dollars. Like it doesn't, you have guys in, in, in non-fab leagues that will sit on the number one claim until they're ready to use it. You can have guys that sit on their fab all season, but that doesn't impact everyone else. It's just, and there's still the same threat. He can blow all his fab on a player at any point, but it's a strategy of managing your fab. But like getting back to your question about collusion. I mean, I think there's two different types. There's trade collusion, which you can't, you can like, obviously again, you, I, the first thing is getting a group of owners to know what they're, know what the fuck they're doing, so that no one's trading a kicker for fucking Derrick Henry, right? Because that may not be collusion. That's, that just that's visual, though. That, that's very easy to right. stop. Like, if you're giving, but like, you're like, hey, you know what? I'll give you Josh Allen for Butker. You know that there's exactly, and you don't want to be in a league like that because that's just not a fun league where people are just getting. You know that? No, you yeah. know that unless you collude with another player, you're yeah. never gonna have a chance to. Win. I mean, if you're gonna do a league like that, do it for fun. Don't put any money towards it. But like in terms of like the rules. And this was the challenge we had in our old league that, that, that basically, you know, our old league split into three leagues essentially is what happened was that, you know, there was people who had outsized voices. And when I would propose changes in the off season or preseason saying, Hey guys, let's try this instead. Let's instead of eight out of 12 teams making the playoffs in the 12 team league, let's do six out of 12 because in the NHL and the NFL and the NBA, more than 50% of the league, 50% of the league does not make the playoffs. Why are we doing this in fantasy? And everyone, you know, Everyone voted, a bunch of people voted against it. When it comes to stuff like if, I, if we're going to, you know, we started from scratch with a new league. I set out a, a, a template of rules that was very clear. I thought I accounted for most things. And basically, if no one liked them at that point, they didn't have to answer the league. Going into this offseason, I have no, if I propose, let's say I propose trading fab. That's going to be one of my proposals. You should be able to trade fab during the season. Um, if six out of 12 owners don't want it, whether they talk, it's a vote. They can they can lobby for whatever they want behind the scenes. I'll respect that vote because at least it's a voting process. Um, when it comes to trade, so that's not really collusion in my mind. That's six people for what, if they talk amongst themselves and they all don't want to do it, that's fine. It's, true. it's collusion when it comes to trades. And that's really hard to prove. Like you said, you got three brothers in the league, but it should also be obvious in the type of trade that happens. You trade a kicker for a running back. Usually that's a trade that doesn't, there's not, no, there's scenarios where I can see it happening. But, you know, a super lopsided trade that makes no sense by two season owners, you can usually smell something fishy. And, and in the end, if that happens, you recognize it and you kick those players. You, it's hard to kick out an owner midseason. You kick them out at the end of the season. We had an inactive owner in our league this year. He is not coming back. We'll have to find someone else. We've already found someone on Heritage team. I took precautions to prevent him from throwing the competitive balance completely in this rate. And most, I just telling you before the podcast, most people didn't know I was setting this guy's lineup. And that was a rule I made. And it was because as a commissioner, I'm now having to pay attention to his roster, along with making my decisions of my own damn team and seeing what everyone else is doing. So there's a bit more responsibility for me. I'd love to just be an owner and sit back set my lineup and not worry about anyone else. That's not, that's not the job. Yeah, but that's the thing. As a commissioner, I was just going to, and that's exactly what I was going to ask you next. Is like, it it puts on such a burden of additional responsibility on you where mm -hmm. we're all doing this for fun. You know what I mean? We all have jobs, sure. we all have jobs and we all have other commitments that require. And the reason to watch football on Sundays, like you said, watch a Raiders Dolphins game. And I wouldn't give, I've seen fantasy has ended. I haven't watched many, many football games because I go hardcore into it and then I need to decompression and I don't watch 
all day Sunday three screens of football unless there's something unless there's fantasy. Yeah. No, you know what, man? You bring up some excellent points. All right, George. So in closing, I just wanted to ask you. I think you know we've touched on a fair bit of things because I think the, the nature of this podcast is really getting into the intricacies of how fantasy works, some of the challenges. Now, mm. I know one of the things I agree with you on this is that the more we can have fantasy simulate the effectiveness of player contribution and usage, the real world game, like reality, essentially, the more enjoyable it is because now you actually because now you're bringing in a factor of skill and research where you said there's a plethora of sources like seven days a week you have fantasy experts on tv of nfl network where they got shows that just talk about fantasy there's you go on you type in fantasy football in any search engine you get all kinds of experts and pundits telling you what they are you got so many comps and things available to like help you decide who to start that week who would be you know who are your sleepers start him sit him so there's so and, many- and then you find your own group but that all those tools are available there and like i said I, I always have a list of teams that i want to avoid at the beginning of the season but i want no part of them regardless of what the analytics or metrics say and there's teams i just want pieces of that the analytics but you know and that's you learn your own style sorry sorry to interrupt yeah, like i agree with you, you know what i mean for example like i would never pick a new england player just like until like now especially the way they're playing right now they're a dominant team, but their MO is not to have player usage. Well, like, yeah, it's exactly. Situational, it's matchup based. It's like, mm-hmm. how can we trick the opponent? So, yeah, so there's some teams where I'm like you. As much as that Damien Harris can put up 30 points, I'm not, I know he's not putting up 30 points every single week. It's like he's yeah. gonna have a freak game where he's gonna have two or three rushing touchdowns in a game. And that's okay. If you're if you happen to have an opponent who has him, who plays him that week, who does it, that's fantastic. What about things like you know, with the way the NFL is evolving? This season, one of the things I noticed was obviously injuries is one. You have committee backfield, which is another one. Then you have this whole COVID wrinkle that we're all dealing with, because that is really, because we everyone in our league at some point had a critical all-star sit out in huge matchups for COVID reasons. I got lucky that I had a buy in the first round, but Kelsey didn't play that round. He was on COVID protocol. So if I think if yeah. I didn't have some of those luxuries, I may have not had the luck of, actually making the finals that year. So, you know, you have those impacts. And then the biggest thing that I think the NFL really has that absolutely just boils my blood, especially when you're in a critical matchup and close by, is pass interference calls. Yeah. That is one of the most, like, oh, like angering things that the NFL has that absolutely murders the value of fantasy. Because sometimes you'll have, a Devontae or a Cooper Cup or like a Tyreek Hill draw a 50-yard or 60-yard DPI or you have Hollywood Brown pick up like a massive defensive pass interference call, which is very material to the outcome of the game because now you're buying things like a defense will do a stupid offside where now the drive gets to continue and the kicker comes on and he goes from being like a 50-yard, 55-yard, I don't know if I want to kick this, to all of a sudden they're in the 40-yard zone and he kicks it in and now you win the league, right? So you have this whole referee intervention and with such good camera angles and slow motion technology that's available to them they control so many plays and the outcome of so many plays so many material plays what to what degree do you think that impacts the outcome of the game because obviously i'm biased because you know what like i don't i don't have as much experience as you and then i've just had my players like get burnt with shitty dpi calls you know where i'm like come Mm -hmm. on man like What's your take on 
you know, how do you think that impacts the game? And then how do you think, if you think that there's a possibility where the game evolves with, you know, adding points and recognizing the value of a player's ability to draw such penalties? Because some leagues, like ours, we play a standard defense and special teams as one unit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some mm-hmm. that have gone above and beyond and actually allow for drafting individual defensive players. Yep. And, and those are just, again, ways where you can add a layer of more strategy and decision-making to the manager. So how do you feel about something like that coming into the play for fantasy? Because I think, like, you know, what past, like, like some of those penalties and pass interferences really change the outcome of the game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think you hit a couple of different things. Injuries are always part of the game. You have an injured reserve for that. That's never really changed. There's not much you can do about it. That's more of the individual man. Like, a perfect example. I had Dalvin Cook as a second overall pick. He has a history of being injured. The team has a, injur- has a history of using one running back all the time. So I knew I had to reserve a draft spot and I had to get him hired to get his backup. And that, that's just the nature of the game. Injuries, you can't change. What yeah, you can do is add more. You can add more injuries. That's their mantra. The next man up is what the, how the NFL is. Exactly. Right. That's why the, so, fat, the free agent acquisition budget is a is, perfect mitigation for that. Exactly. And you, you could add an extra IR slot, but I mean, at some point you want, there's also a balance between having a free agent pool that's full of players that you can actually add versus if you have two IRs, we have one IR slot in our league, which accounts for injured or this year COVID, but, and you have to balance that. You also have a six man bench. I mean, you got to remember football, unlike basketball, baseball, hockey is one game a week. You get one shot at it. That's a, it's a sprint. I used to do, I started fantasy doing baseball which is a marathon, 162 games, rolling over all this stuff. Football is a short window. It's a one week. You got to get it right. It's a sprint. And that's why I love it. Um, so you can do stuff like, you know, in the end, you have six men spots. You're only starting, um, take out the kicker and defense. You're starting traditionally at eight men. And you have six men spots and one IR. So you use your bench how you're going to see best see fit. And that will count for injuries. You can add a second IR slot if you want. I wouldn't go beyond that. COVID was a different beast. I think last year was more problematic than this year because last year you didn't get to put COVID guys in the IR. Um, one of the things you could have done is added a, a second IR slot. This is where also the platform you use matters. Because a lot of guys would say to me, friends in the league was like, why can't we do this? Well, we use Yahoo as our platform. You have to operate within the limits of Yahoo. So if someone said, hey guys, let's have a second IR slot only for COVID only players. But the IR slot in Yahoo doesn't, prevents you from putting anyone that's ruled that's ruled out or with COVID in IR slot. So then it becomes an honor system of, okay, is everyone else in the league only going to use that second IR slot for COVID designated players? Me personally, I don't want to leave anything up to honor. And so the sit, the platform you use, the more flexible it is, it gives you more ability to have a COVID only IR slot. A Yahoo doesn't have that. Other platforms may. Getting to your question about BPI calls. And I think this is an interesting one. My take on, on DPI is you, you can't give points for when they didn't happen. So there's a shit ton of bad uh, OPIs, deep, pass interference calls, right? And yes, Justin Jefferson gets robbed of a touchdown, doesn't get the yards. The, the sad fact is that's not tracked in the game. They didn't track how many yards did he, would he have gotten on that call. So you cannot, you can't give points where they weren't allowed. You can't give yards where they weren't allowed. But what you could do is change other scoring aspects to make up for the real world impact. So we plan a PPR point per reception. You can add point per first down. 
first downs matter more than a third down. So you could add, so a, a, a point, so you get a first down, you get extra 0.25 points. Or from a defensive perspective, you can fourth and goal stops. You can give a bonus point for that. So big moments that are game-defining moments in a game that are tracked, that there's a stat for that you can assign points to, you can change the game that way. I don't think you'll ever be able to account for the pass interference calls because those aren't awarded in the end. So you cannot, the system won't track. You can't give yards that were never counted. But you can do other things to make the bigger, more impactful plays matter more. And that's really up to, you know, and those things are theoretically possible as well. It's a, you know, the pass interference, that's more of a ref issue that's friggin' annoying as hell, but. Because he's had so many players. Like, man, you can imagine how many PIs Stefan Diggs gets, how many PIs yeah. Justin Jefferson gets, just because they're, they're such dominant yeah. playmakers that and now, they blow past their defender. Most of the time, the guy's going to have to do some holding or something, or else you're giving the guy a 60-yard walking touchdown, just because they're that good, where they break open that. And I will say the NFL is good, and I think – so you didn't have this problem four years ago, five years ago in the NFL, all these – offensive pass interferences or defensive pass interference, there wasn't as many. And I think the NFL, because there's been a lot of egregious calls where, you know, defenders got to back to the ball. How can you call defensive pass interference on a guy who can't see the ball coming? And, you know, I think the, the one good thing about the NFL is they are progressive with the rules and they will, I'm sure they will go back and review some of the uh, pass interference calls, some of the egregious ones this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if a year or two, they tweak those rules. They hone them because they did it with instant replay. They've done it pretty much with everyone else. The NFL is a progressive league that they tend to address stuff that people complain about. And the other side is fantasy is such fantasy and betting in general is such a big aspect to the NFL. I mean, it wouldn't be as popular as it was, if it wasn't for the betting aspect and that includes mm-hmm. fantasy that they have to cater to that. They wouldn't change the rules for it, but they are good with the rules in general that they know they have a bit of problem in that regard. And you know what, Jory, thank you. You bring up some excellent points. That's a very good education for me because I never really considered the subjective nature of a DPI call. Whereas like, you know, putting in value add for the materiality of the play, such as for example, a first down catch has got to be worth more than a third down catch or like Mm -hmm. a, you know, like a fourth and goal stop or like a fourth down stop by a defense. You're effectively turning the ball over at that point. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So if you're going to get points for a turnover, why not reward the defense with an extra point for being like, Hey, you know what? We made a stand where we didn't allow you to, get that first down to continue your drive. So mm-hmm. it's analogous to saying, hey, pick up an extra point. No, those well, are- and the perfect example would be um, kickers. A lot of people hate kickers. But kickers score real points in football. And they, they score, score three a lot of points, man. Like, I mean, and, and- we've, kickers will easily be your short of your quarterback and you're running, like, you know, they well, will and- outperform your flex options. So, often and, like- that, and that's one thing that bothered me was that for many years, your kicker, who you don't draft high, you pick off off the scrap. It's hard to determine analytics with kickers other than weather or basically a good offense is going to put the ball in scoring position more often. But my issue many years ago was, hey, kickers are outscoring my flex guys, outscoring my RB2s, my WR2s. That shouldn't be the case. But we don't want to – I don't personally want to get rid of kickers because kickers score points. And then it became – I started looking at, well, how do we have our league setting set up? Well – I don't believe a kicker should get more than th- less than three points on a f- on a field goal because they score three points. They score three points, they, yes. Right, but if there was there was in our old league settings we had four points for a forty yarder, which to me isn't right. I like the fifty yarder bonus because that is a legitimate it's a hard game kick. kick. And like fifty yard, it's is a hard kick. They don't happen that very often. Very few people make that decision, and it's, it's something where it's not that. And I like but, the fact that we threw in a penalty for missing the extra point. Well, that, that was the biggest change. Case. That was the biggest change. Is the way to 
tone down kickers so that they aren't outscoring guys you drafted in the fourth round. Because otherwise, you draft a kicker in the fourth round every year when you know they're going to get you 10 points a week was basically anything missed under 30 yards and extra points are negative points. So therefore, it balances out. Kickers are still important. They're not most important. I think good managers take advantage of good kickers. Other people just ride the same kicker all year but they don't outscore players that are truly the ones you're doing the research. They are rewarded from mistakes. They're penalized from mistakes in a similar way. Exactly. Like a wide receiver or running back and he fumbled the ball or a quarterback throws a pick or fumbles the ball. You get docked two points because yeah. they've actually caused a material game-changing play in that so, moment. So I, I so like that. Speaking your scoring settings to balance it out so that, like I said, kickers and defense aren't outscoring your best players unless they have a massive performance to me matters because it makes, you know, people write off kickers and defense, but there's a lot of, not much strategy in kickers, but there's a lot of strategy goes into defense, I think. Anyway. You know what? This has been such a fun conversation and podcast. Thank you so much for coming on here. On, on an ending note, where do you see fantasy headed over the next five years based on just what kind of changes you've seen happen in your long tenure as a commissioner and playing it consistently over such a long period of time? You've obviously seen lots of changes happen. So where do you see the league going in the next like five years? I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, the fans, the league, I don't know in terms of the fantasy industry or fantasy ecosystem, it's gotten so big and there's so many resources. And at this point, it's almost about who's got the secret resources. I know I have my message boards that I go to, that I don't tell anyone about because I think it's an advantage over just going to fantasypros.com or whatever. Um, but I, th- I think what you're see- what you're going to see is, is a variation in fantasy formats. So take, for example, your question about injuries and running backs. There are, and and this all comes back to the platforms. I think you're going to have more extensible platforms as we go forward. Yahoo's pretty progressive. They're not the most progressive. NFL is kind of piece of shit. Then you have something like Sleeper. But like, for example, given the fact that running backs, you know, back when we started started fantasy, you had, let's say, 75% of the league used a single running back for 90% of the carries. They only brought in someone else to spell them. Now, that number is down to 20% of the league uses one running back. Every other team uses a dual split in almost a 60-40 or 50-50 split, which in one hand gives you more eligible players to play. On the other hand, reduces the importance of running backs. Um, so there are, there are platforms now that instead of drafting Dalvin Cook and having to draft Alexander Madison, you draft the Minnesota running back. So you just get that whole team's running back yard. And that eliminates the injuries. Now you only have 32 running backs to choose from at that point. But in a tw- even a 12-team league, there's 24 teams. It means there's still, do the math, eight teams that aren't drafted. But that would eliminate, because wide receivers and running backs are different. There are no wide receiver handcuffs. There are way more wide receivers in the, on the field. But you could just draft the Minnesota running back. You could draft the Green Bay running back. And that's one way to I get like around that. the injury. That's a really cool concept where the backfield, given the nature of it, is you automatically get to pick the team running back. And you get the all the backfield running with yeah. it. Just because you can have three, four wide receivers on the field at the same time or two tight ends on the field at the same time. But no team is going to put on two running backs simultaneously. It's always yeah, play as a trickery or something. Is yeah. A wildcat or something fun. But in general, yes. Like perfect example would be the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. does all the dirty running and then James Conner runs all the touchdowns in and like you really and who's the who's the better fantasy asset is James Conner because he gets a two he gets two touchdowns and 40 yards in a game. But uh, I mean so I think Going back to like where I see it, I see the I see the the fantasy platforms. I see the ecosystem getting bigger. The money is getting bigger, um, and I see the platforms getting more extensible. 
And maybe there is a way to address that PI stuff in the future. I don't see how without tracking that stat, you can assign points, but, it, but stuff like picking a running back team, you know, having there's certain best ball leagues where you just automatically get, you pick 15 guys and it just automatically takes your best score that week. That's a little less, but I think that also opens it up for more casual people. I don't like the best ball option. Cause you know what? That is a little bit of management. Cause there's like, I, cause that's almost yeah. hindsight is 2020. Cause there's a few games that I lost that I would have won sure. if I would have started my bench players. For right? sure. And but I don't when think you're that looking at you get casual. that advantage. If I'm a doofus, when I leave that week's star on the bench, mm-hmm. who's on my team? I had the option to start whichever player I wanted to. Because now what you're doing is, that that one is actually very interesting because I had Kittle this year. And Kittle is one of those yep. guys where he can pop Maybe off. you in the final. <laughs> it's one of the two. Either, yeah. or, either or, right? Yeah. And. He's one of those guys you cannot bench. Like he, just yeah. from a prudency yeah. standpoint, I don't care. He's a tight end, and tight ends drop off after the top three, and and he's one of the top three. But you can't. But bench I think him, but at the same time, I lost in the finals. He did jack for me. You know what I mean? Garoppolo was out. Yeah. So if you were like, hey, you know what? Flexibility wise, hey, pick this. So one of the things I did for the finals was our lineups were pretty much set. There's not much I could do. Only thing mm-hmm. I had was kickers, right? So I had two or three kickers that I picked up because I wasn't sure who and was. And you didn't play the guy I dropped. And I didn't play the guy. <laughs> he was your kicker all season long for the most part. Right? So I didn't play. Yeah, exactly. I should have played Prater. I didn't. He, yeah. he gave me double the points. So I don't think – I like that. I don't think you want to penalize because that's penalizing my opponent for yeah. my mistake where I was like, you know what? I was too scared because now you're effectively taking away the fun element of being like, you know what? Did I make the right call? Because you mm-hmm. don't want – well, that's, that's in the end. Fun. Did I it's make the, it's right the end of the agony and the thrill of making the right call. But I do think what best ball does is it brings in more casual fans. Me and you are hardcore. We get into the weeds. I spend X amount of hours a week talking, thinking about fantasy. But best ball expands it to more casual fans. So the people that can say, okay, I'm going to draft a team. I don't want to have to worry about setting my lineup, but I want my best players to get my best points. And if everyone's going in with that understanding, I think it expands the roster, people getting into fantasy in general, so that down the road, they, okay, I like this best ball, but you know what? I want some control over my start tips, and they go into a more traditional league. So that's the way I see the fantasy industry going, is just offering more options to everyone and, and, and getting more people involved, more people involved. Usually you're going to play it. You're going to love it. You make it to a point where you say, okay, I've had fucking enough of this. I haven't made the playoffs in five years. It's so frustrating. But then you come back for more because it's like crack. So, I mean, <laughs> that, that's, that's the future I see for it. It's just getting bigger and, and more options for everyone, more extensibility. Well, Commissioner Jory Goldstein, thank you so much for coming on our show today. We really appreciate your time. And I had a lot of fun just talking about fantasy, you know, understanding. Because I said, I'm notwithstanding my luck where I've had been able to win some trophies, I'm still fairly new. So I don't understand as many nuances of the game. And, you know, I understand, like, I, I do enough research and I'm, I like to win, so I actively commit. But this is very educational for me. And I'm very confident that a lot of our listeners are going to have an amazing time just learning a lot of different strategies and, you know, how you can have leagues that can be structured for different types of player skill levels, different type of enjoyment levels, of, you know, how much an individual wants to commit. Thanks so mm-hmm. much again for coming on our show. We greatly appreciate your time. And in closing, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Branding and Promo, once again. Thank you for making this all possible. Until the next episode. Thank you, guys.